so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmerly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 95 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where normally we talk about really terrible, awful things, but today we're just going to talk about stuff that we love. Fake, terrible, awful things. Fake, terrible, awful things, because you can stop that. Uh, <laughs> I am Karen Peterson, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And, um, yeah, we have decided, and it's actually kind of funny that this is the week we decided to do it, but we've decided to <laughs> just say sayonara to our normal agenda and get rid of all that. We're not talking about garbage people. We're not, which is funny because, you know, the garbage person <laughs> made the news again this week, but you know what? Fuck him. We're done. The one who started it all. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Good timing on our part. So <laughs> yeah, right. We will talk all about that next time. But this week, you know what? No, we're done. We're going to have some fun. We're tired. It's Halloween. We love horror movies. And so we're dedicating this entire episode to horror and Halloween. Yay. So, yeah, I'm excited about this. I, I am excited, um, too. So, yeah. <laughs> So we got lots of great questions from all of you. We have some topics of our own that we wanted to throw out there. And one thing we did was we challenged each other, or we suggested to each other a movie that the other one had not seen. So uh, we're going to talk about those in a bit too. But um, to start off, this was a question from last week actually that came in after we had recorded the episode, so we weren't able to get it. And it's the only non-spooky question that we have depending on how you look at this um <laughs> but uh this is from at film guy 619 he had a fuck mary kill for us and that is oscar isaac chris hemsworth ben wishaw lauren this is a hard preferred... one this is a hard one is it though okay um so uh fuck mary kill i guess Fuck Ben Wishaw, marry Chris Hemsworth, and kill Oscar Isaac. That is my... <laughs> See? That's easy. <laughs> That's easy and correct. Oh, oh, see, Kristen, this is what happens. You know, you just left us alone. Now we're, we're killing Oscar Isaac. <laughs> yep. Yep, exactly. That needs to be our quote for this week. You left us alone, now we're killing Oscar Isaac. <laughs> She doesn't listen to the podcast uh, anyway. Yeah, I like I like Oscar <laughs> Isaac, but just in that in that grouping, he loses. I'm sorry. Yeah, and to your logic, you know, before with Ben Wishaw, it's like I don't. Yeah, he's sweet. I'm not gonna marry him. He can go marry other people. And um, Chris <laughs> Hemsworth, like, do you follow his Instagram? Why would anybody not want to be married to Chris Hemsworth? <laughs> He's the perfect man. It's ridiculous. 
So <laughs> it's embarrassing to be totally honest. Oh yeah. Like, watching, seeing some of his videos on Instagram, I'm just like, what is, how is this person a person and not like, I don't a, a facsimile, like a, an avatar of something he else. Cause I actually, do not know how anyone looks like that. He actually is a God. I think that's the only explanation. <laughs> he is Thor. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, which, by the way, Paul Thomas Anderson this week said that Thor is the best and Marvel movies are bitching. No, not sorry. Not Paul Thomas Anderson. Terrence Malick said that. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, anyway. All right. So thanks. And let's see. Um, well, we have a lot of questions. So let's get let's do another one. Um okay. Let's go with, this is from at Noah underscore Saturn. I hope I'm saying these names right, by the way. What's a horror movie you don't find scary, but still enjoy? Hmm. Uh, for me, I think, I, I think that there are a lot of, there are a lot of particularly classic horror films that I don't think maybe are not really scary, scary anymore. And our, our approach to horror has changed a lot over the years. So things that were disturbing or creepy or something like that in the in ye olden days are just just don't hit the same marks as they used to so stuff like dracula um the 1931 dracula the original frankenstein which are still creepy and are still kind of weird and enjoyable to watch but they're not scary i don't sit there going like oh my god i'm terrified Mm -hmm. yeah um I, so I have this friend who, this is when I lived up in Utah, we met when we were in college, and we're still really good friends. Uh, he married my roommate, actually, so I'm friends with all, with both of them. And we used to just, if we'd had a hard, if one of us had had a hard day, or just we were really bored or whatever, we'd just go like, tonight is scary movie night. And he grew up in this tiny town, and they had one movie theater that wasn't even built until he was in high school, I think. And so he had never really seen anything. So it was like, I could just introduce him to all kinds of stuff. And then also movies that I hadn't seen, I would just make him watch them with me for the first time. And so we found all kinds of fun horror movies that way. And I, but I remember the time I showed him Poltergeist (laughs) and we're watching it. And he's like, this isn't scary at all. And then something happened. I think it was the part where, after they'd gotten Carol Ann back and then um, the monster was trying to get her again and uh, so then Diane's in the hallway and you see the big creature in the door I think it was that part all of a sudden Mm -hmm. he lets out the most ungodly scream (laughs) it's so funny (laughs) this isn't scary (laughs) (laughs) it was hilarious but yeah I think you're absolutely right I think that there are movies that in their time probably were creepier than they are watching them now just because we're used to things looking so real and um we don't we don't have to uh, we don't have to use our imaginations as much or they don't let us use our imaginations as much and so uh so i think things like um the Am- the original amityville horror and stuff like that it's like yeah in mm-hmm. in their time they probably were scary as hell and thematically they still have some things that are very creepy but watching them and seeing the effects it it loses some of some of the impact but still they're fun movies to watch 
Um, yeah, I mean, there there are ones that definitely got under my skin still. Like, um, I I remember uh, to to your story about showing someone a movie that, um, uh, that they were that they weren't scared of, and then they were. I remember back in college uh, was the first time I saw Suspiria, and I rented it for Halloween. So like we watched, I think that my friends and I watched Carrie, and then we watched Suspiria uh, on Halloween night. We were like sitting there, you know, just gorging ourselves on candy and shit. But um, <laughs> but I remember watching it, and this was the first Dario Argento film I'd ever seen. I had never seen a Giallo before. Um, all that, and I'm sitting there going, like, this is just kind of weird. You know, there's some creepy moments, and there there's the murder at the beginning, but there's actually not that much violence in the film um it's actually one of his less violent films mm-hmm. uh and so i was like oh that was well that was kind of creepy you know and everyone was like yeah that was really creepy and so we all went to bed and the next morning not a single one of us had slept <laughs> like we came downstairs and, and and i was like did you guys sleep okay last night? i was just like no i had horrible horrible dreams <laughs> uh and and so, like, the Suspiria for whatever... And Suspiria still affects me like this, that I watch it, and I'm like, this isn't scary. Like, it's creepy. It, this, you've got the soundtrack. There, but there's something about being sort of plunged into it that it feels like a nightmare, and it does get into your subconscious, or at least it gets into my subconscious. And that was always a weird experience for me. And I've had that experience with a couple of similar... of, of films by Argento and by Baba, where... On the surface, they don't seem particularly frightening. And then, you know, you go to bed and you're just like, oh, actually, I'm terrified right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I will say a similar thing happened to me when I was like five years old. My dad showed me Abbott and Costello and me Frankenstein. So. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I was six when I watched Poltergeist for the first time. So that explains a lot about me. Um, that would have That would have terrified me. Oh, yeah. I. That's the thing is like... That movie, sure, for some people or a lot of people now, it's not that scary. But for me, I still, there are still scenes in it that I can't watch because they just take me right back to being a kid and hiding behind the couch because I was so freaked out, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, So, good question. Thank you. Uh, Okay, so let's go into... um, so we actually had a couple of our own that we threw out there. Um, and actually, since we just were talking about what we enjoy but don't find scary, let's talk about what we like about horror films and why we like the being scared, the ones that do scare us. Because I, I think that's a fun topic, yeah. Yeah. For, for me, I and I, I think that horror is we've talked about this before that horror is one of the more subjective genres yeah um as subjective as comedy you know drama there are certain things that affect people in the same way horror is very like you know like like we've said before something that scares you doesn't affect me at all something that that just like gives me sleepless nights doesn't cause any problems for you we talked about this with midsummer where a lot of people are like oh this is terrifying and i was like i'm bored you know um and so I and I think that a lot of horror is like that, but I I I think that horror taps into some of the things that we were. I mean, we were talking about being kids that we were frightened of when we were children for whatever reason. Um, that and that some some horror is is like 
use Martin Scorsese's comment. Some some horror is like a theme park ride, <laughs> where you know, but it, at that level where you're actually being affected by it in almost real time, where it's like you feel that up and down, that adrenaline um, that gets going when you know when you know you're dropping, when you're waiting, that tension when you're waiting for something bad to happen, when you know that something bad is going to happen. Um, I actually really like films that have jump scares because I like that kind of that that building of tension and then the release of it. Um, I, I think that that's fun. And so I, I think that it taps into some of the the things that we're afraid of. And it also kind of gives voice to them. So you stop being afraid of it. You know, I, I've talked about before this. So Abdon Costello Frankenstein terrified me when I was, you know, five years old. My poor father was, was like, oh my God, I've, I've, you know, scarred our child for life. And he probably did. <laughs> Uh, but one of the things that really frightened me was Dracula. I, as I got older, I was like, I'm fascinated by Dracula. I read Dracula. I went and read a whole bunch of vampire novels. I wrote my, um, my senior project in college on Dracula. I've got a Dracula tattoo now. <laughs> uh, all of that. And so I think that, I think that it, I think that horror at that level does kind of allow us to tap into some of the things that we're afraid of. To, to make them um, public, to make them, you know, actual things, actual existing things versus stuff in, a, in our subconscious and to kind of excise them in that way. So that's, that's my perspective. I don't know. I think there's, there's so many theories uh, about why people enjoy horror and why some people really hate it. I have some friends who despise it. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. But I, th- I think I see things the way you do. I think for me... Uh, you know, there are a lot of scary things in, in life and, and horror is a way to not real, not necessarily escape it. You're just approaching it a different way. Like, you know, I don't tend to watch movies about things that I'm scared of in real life, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I do, but I've never been afraid that some guy in a ski mask is going to come after me, you know, but, um. But I think what's great about horror movies is even when there are a bunch of sequels where the same guy keeps coming back, there's always a way to stop them. And so I like the, I well, maybe not always, but most of the time, there's a way to stop them, to stop the terror, to stop what's happening, and to conquer it. And I, I really like that. Even if it's not something that I could do in my real life, I... Mm-hmm. Like the fact that I get to kind of live vicariously through some characters who are able to stop the bad guy or the supernatural force or whatever it is. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. Although, again, particularly in more recent horror, there have been a lot of horror films where the supernatural horror does not get stopped. That is very true. And it's always there. <laughs> that is it's true. It's always there. Even, even, dif- even different from like, you know, something like Halloween, which has so many sequels and Myers keeps on coming back. It's stuff like, um, uh, I recently watched Sinister, mm. right? Where the, hor- the horror, you know, spoiler alert to everybody, the horror wins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at, at the end of all of that, it's not stoppable. But uh, people have talked about um, horror as being kind of a return, uh, return of the repressed, right? That theory. Or the return of the kind of collective subconscious of a society. So... Um, the things that are sort of considered horrible or terrifying in American society, you get a lot of female monsters. You get a lot of uh, monsters based in race. 
you get a lot, and and you get similar things in Italian society or in you know Je- Japanese horror films. Japanese and Korean horror films are very different from American horror films, and even, are even very different from American remakes of the Japanese or Korean horror films. Um, but you get this this attitude towards the supernatural or towards what we believe in in terms of the supernatural are we more willing to accept ghosts than vampires and why is that uh i don't i uh, horror gets into i think what a society fears and also provides some degree of catharsis for it like you're saying that the the horror gets defeated the the people escape the final girl gets away um whether or not um you know, whether or not it always works out like that. And the part of the tension is waiting for that. Is it going to work out? Is she going to survive? Uh, are they going to escape? And and also just identifying with the monster. I mean, there have been a number of horror films fairly recently where um, the monsters have become the, the most sympathetic figures. And there's a long history in horror of uh, sympathetic monsters, people like the Frankenstein monster. Um, and even to a degree, weirdly enough, Dracula, like Dracula, by the end of the book, you, you understand his reasons for why like, his, his desires that he's entrapped in, in many of the same ways that everybody else is, or that he's in trying to entrap other people. Yeah. It's funny because uh, not that long ago, someone was asking me like, man, you really like horror, don't you? And I said, well, I enjoy having seen horror movies. I don't necessarily always like the process of watching them, but it's funny because since I signed up for Shudder and I've been watching a lot more, I I have a totally new level of appreciation and respect for horror films and what they do and how they do it. And I think that mm-hmm. it really is unfortunate how it's such an underrated genre where it really is treated as like, oh, there are people who like horror and then there's all the rest of us. And, you know, it's, it's, there's so many different things that live within that umbrella of horror that, you know, like that's one of the things I love about Shudder is they have supernatural or thriller, psychological thriller, slasher films, you know, they have all these different categories. So it's like, if I want to watch a scary movie, but I don't feel like watching a ghost story, I can look for something else. Or maybe I do want to watch a ghost story. And they make it very easy to find those. Uh, not that this is an endorsement for Shutter, Although, you know what? It is. They're not paying us. But <laughs> if you are remotely <laughs> interested in horror films, I highly recommend getting a Shutter subscription. It's only like $6 a month. You know, it's one of the better... It's one of the better streaming services, I think. And, and it's so genre-specific. And... I love the way that they change out their collections. I think it's awesome. Um, they have some things that they go ahead and acquire that you won't be able to find anywhere else. And then they also have things that they just are able to pick up from time to time. So, And they have they have old movies from like the 30s and then they've got stuff that just came out this year. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I really like it. So, all right. Uh, well, on those lines let's go ahead and talk about the movies that we made each other watch this week <laughs> all right which one do you want to start with um let's, karen <laughs> let's start with with the one that you gave me because that one's a fun one okay um that and both of these are on shutter so lauren challenged me to watch one cut of the dead which i had never seen and 
as I was watching it, I was like, why have I never watched this before? This is uh, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I really appreciated that you told me not to read anything about it first because I had no idea what I was getting into, and that was a lot of fun too. Um, I didn't even read the little synopsis. That's what I was told when I went into the film, and I was like, okay, that seems kind of weird, but I will I will obey by that, and it's, yeah, it's definitely worth it. <laughs> yeah. So, for the next, like, couple of minutes, if you have not seen One Cut of the Dead and you're interested in seeing it, I would say fast forward a little bit, um, but if you don't care yes. or you haven't, you, you have seen it before or whatever, go ahead and keep listening to this part of the conversation. So, um, yeah, so this movie is basically a it's funny the way that it starts because you're watching this movie about people making a movie clearly and but there's this zombie outbreak that happens and so you get the sense that okay they're supposed to be making a movie about zombies and then actual zombies happen and then all of a sudden the movie ends and it's like wait but there's still like 40 minutes to go what else are they gonna do and then it goes into this whole thing with um this company like this cable company that's about to launch a new channel and they want to do this film so i love the way that they do it where they show you the film the film that they make and then they go into the process of how they did it it's so clever and so much fun before we get into talking about my thoughts though i'm really curious why you recommended that one for me I, I, uh, partially because I've been recommending it to everyone, because I think that, <laughs> I personally think that it's one of the clever, um, sort of horror comedies that I've seen in quite a while. And I was not convinced initially, because yeah, like you're saying, you, you have this half hour, basically, of a zombie movie. And you're just like, okay, well, this is kind of low budget, and sort of, and I'm a little confused mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in places. And then... And then you get into, like, the solution. But what I really liked was that I, I kind of, I was kind of like, I have a feeling that, that something like this is going on, right? That that's actually what we're watching. We're watching, like, a film within a film within a film. Right. Um, and then, but actually the way, I think that the way that they construct the, whatever, the second, the hour, the next hour of the film is very clever because you get to see why so many of the weird shit that happens in that first half hour, how that comes about. Because the whole idea is to film it in one solid take. Mm -hmm. And with, you know, so you've got the directors running around with the camera. You've got, you've got these weird little elements, like the guy who keeps on trying to crawl out the door. <laughs> and you're just like, what the hell is that dude trying to do? And then there's an explanation for it. And right. I like the fact that it, it integrated those kind of, these moments where the, the the original, you know, the original film seems to lag and all of that stuff. And then it actually integrated that to the point of finally, you know, like you, I, you said on our Slack, the final crane shot uh, and stuff like that, that it, it all is very seamless and it's very well connected. And I just, I find it really clever and I found it really entertaining. So that's, that's why I recommended it. <laughs> Well, I am so glad that you did because it is very clever and entertaining. And I love the fact that it starts off looking like something just super low budget. Like how much did they even spend on this movie? Did they even pay for yeah. anything, you know? And then it turns out it's actually not as low budget as it looks. It's just really clever and well-written. And um, 
the it's fun how there's all those little all the subtext in there or like things that clearly have happened you know in their history some of the characters like you've got this divorced couple i think they're supposed to be divorced um the director and i think they're still married are they married i got the sense that they were together they are i thought that oh i'm confused because i thought that they were not because she makes some comment the wife makes some comment to him and he's surprised that she noticed that and i don't know the the way the daughter was talking i thought they were divorced but okay anyway um but it's and then she like the the woman who ends up becoming the makeup artist in the movie and how she doesn't ever act but she memorizes every script and um Mm -hmm. and uh so she's able to jump in when something happens and they're not able to get their person that's supposed to be in this and then yeah, I just love how it's everything uh, starts to go wrong, but in the moment they just have to react and fix it because the show must go on, and uh, it's just it's just so much fun. And and I think it's another really great way to play with the zombie genre, which there are so many zombie movies, and it's you know it's it really is its own subgenre. It's just zombies, but mm-hmm. I I really liked the way that they. Um, managed to make a zombie movie that is entertaining doesn't feel like just a rehash of everything else it really does feel unique and uh, oh my gosh I'm just thinking of certain scenes that were that were so funny like the guy who's totally drunk <laughs> <laughs> and they're still yeah. trying to use him and he's like yeah. pass out <laughs> And, um, yeah, that crane shot at the end, that's fantastic watching how they were able to do that. And the fact that they had to, because as they're filming this movie, they can't talk, the crew, they have to do everything super quietly, so they're writing notes, they're using, like, rudimentary sign language that they're making up on the spot, um, just to get everything, because otherwise if they talk, then they're going to ruin the effect, so it's, yeah. And then I love... I think one of my things, sorry, this is, I'm sorry guys, if you haven't watched it and you're still listening to this part, then oh well, um, but go watch it. It's on Shutter. But I love the part too, where they finish the, the show, they finish the broadcast and then it goes to the people that are like, um, in the office that are the bosses and they're watching this and it ends and then they're like, wow, good work, everybody. Like as if they had done <laughs> any of it. <laughs> like, yep, that's accurate. So yeah, so thank you so much for the recommendation. That was great. Um, yes, yay! <laughs> I'm glad you liked I, it. Yeah, I am too. That was fun. I'm gonna watch it again. Um, I made you watch an Israeli film called Big Bad Wolves. And yes, you did. <laughs> your reaction was just great. So the reason that I recommended <laughs> it to you is because this is a film that I saw several years ago, and it's. Because it played at AFI. It was like a midnight selection at AFI. And it's one that has really stuck with me. I only had ever seen it that one time. I haven't watched it again. Although I did start watching it. I was watching little bits of it um, to prep for this conversation. But um, now I need to finish it. But the reason that I... The main reason I recommended it to you is because I knew you hadn't seen it, and I, you've seen, like, every horror movie, so <laughs> I was like, oh, you gotta watch this, because <laughs> this one has really stayed with me. So, what were your thoughts? 
Well, this this is definitely a film. I I liked it in a lot of ways. There were a f- I had a few little caveats that, and we we talked and I'll talk about it in a minute. But I really I liked the way that it developed. That there's there are a lot of comedic elements to it, um, and a lot of sort of wry comedy that is just sort of, that is is basically you know you've got the the one police officer's boss. Who's who? You know, has when he when he brings him in to fire him, he's got his kids sitting there. It's just like, no, you listen, you pay attention now, son. This is now. Don't interrupt. You know, all of that kind of thing. There, there are nice little elements um, all the way through. Just, just to give sort of a brief rundown of the plot. The plot is that um, in I think it's a it's a small town in in Israel. Yeah. Uh, where a number of child murders have been taking place and they keep on discovering the bodies of these young girls. And the police have kind of zeroed in on this one man who is a religious studies teacher at the local uh, high school. And But they don't seem to actually have any clear-cut evidence to, to hold him, so they've been trying to essentially torture the information out of him, to torture him, to get him to confess. Uh what transpires is that um, one of the fathers of one of the murdered girls t- basically takes the law into his own hands and winds up kidnapping the, um, the, the professor and one of the cops who has been working on the project. And it develops out of that is that it's, for the most part, it's about the relationship between these three men and this open question of, did this guy commit the crimes? If he did, how did he do it? And, you know, can you even, could they even get a real confession? Because one of the things that um, keeps on coming back is that, you know, you can torture, if you torture someone enough, they're going to say anything that you want them to say. Uh, it's, I thought that it was is incredibly well done. It was very provoking because the entire time you're sitting there, the, the, the professor is constantly saying, like, I didn't do it, right? And he's this kind of small, very sort of port-upon little man who is being menaced by these much stronger, much bigger men. And it is about kind of the breakdown of law and order, this willingness to just decide that someone is guilty and to torture them in order to get um, them to confess to it. And... It's very effective and very well done and very and I, I have a feeling that there's a lot of stuff in there that is also about Israel itself because um, there, there are a lot of things about the police and about the army um, and about the willingness to torture and this sort of masculinity. One of the things that I noticed is that even though this is a movie that is about men kind of taking vengeance for um, the, the murder and violation of these girls, there are no women on screen. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, there are female characters that show up briefly on in telephone conversations and stuff like that, but there are quite literally no women appear on screen. The one guy's wife is in that one scene when he's testing the, when? the sound. It's toward we the get beginning. The sound. It's when he's testing. It's when he has her standing there, and then he says, "Count to ten and then start yelling." So he doesn't tell her why, but it's so that he can make sure that that room is soundproofed. I don't remember. Oh yeah, the yeah. the um, well, the real estate agent. Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, so there's right. one woman on screen. Yeah, but that's it. But you're right. That's it. And she does. She's not even a real character. So yeah. 
Yeah, she's hardly a character, but I I just found it interesting that the the women kind of are there, so mothers, wives, daughters, but they're not really there. It really is about this exchange between men and about the men kind of trying to get closure or trying to get trying to get some kind of satisfaction out of um out of solving this case and out of punishing the perpetrator even though they don't really know who the perpetrator is. And one of the things I think that the film could have done a little bit better would be to give us a little bit more information about how they, how the cops originally arrived at the idea that this particular man was the prime suspect. Um, and it, the film really doesn't give you much about that, other than the fact that obviously he's a teacher at the high school, so he has some connection to the, the, the girls who are being killed. But beyond that, there's not much information about him. And I, I wanted a little bit more of like, okay, well, why did they fixate on this particular person? Um, even if they don't, you know, have really solid evidence enough to arrest him. Uh, but I liked it. I thought it was a really well done film. Yeah. Very disturbing. Good. Yeah, uh, it's definitely disturbing. And it does ask a lot of questions. And like you said, I, I love the fact that um, it does keep you guessing on this guy. And sometimes you're like totally convinced that the cops are right. And other times you're like, they're wrong. They need to let this guy go. And and um, I, yeah, I, I really like that. Um, it's funny. It, well, not funny. It's interesting because Israel really doesn't have a big market with horror films they have this is only i think technically the second one that they ever did and this was just in 2013 so um so it's like when you consider that they're basically breaking ground in their own country with this genre it you kind of forget for me at least i kind of forgive some of the things that um that they could have done better but uh mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that it's, it's overall, it's really well made. And I, I really like, you know, I agree with what you're saying too, the way that they balance the, some of the humor, because in a movie like this, with the themes that it deals with, you have to have some room to just kind of take a breather because otherwise it just gets to be too much. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's the film uses kind of the element of the ridiculous and people have compared it to, to like Reservoir Dogs stuff like that and it does definitely have that element to it where there's it's almost ridiculous it's like you know the the we're gonna sit here and we're gonna torture the information out of this guy we have to have something to lighten that so you've got these sort of i like the fact that he keeps on like i'm going to torture you and then like the egg timer goes off and he's got he has to go take a cake out of the oven you know that kind of thing i yeah. like the fact that that was there because like you're saying otherwise it would just been so dark uh -huh. And so difficult to watch that it, it wouldn't have played very well. You have to have that humor. Right. And those elements humanize these guys, too, because otherwise they're just the monsters. And yeah, um, you need to see them as as men that are just really, even if they're going about it the totally wrong way, they're trying to do something <laughs> positive. All right. So would you recommend it? Yes, I would I would recommend it with with the caveat that it is disturbing. Uh, so there, you know, like I said this this in, this involves child murder. So mm -hmm. for anyone that has that's a problem for them, you know, me it also involves torture. Uh, so yeah. just to, with that caveat, it's it's a very good film. Yes. 
Awesome. Okay, so let's go into another listener question. Um, well, let's lighten the mood a little bit. This is from at JKC Hart. What are the absolute worst Halloween candies? This has nothing to do with movies, but is very important nonetheless. And then we'll get into his second question. <laughs> second. So, what are the worst Halloween candies? I hate those little peanut butter ones that are in like the black and orange wrappings, although I don't really see them anymore, so maybe if people understood they were terrible and stopped making them. I don't even know what those are. Oh, wow. That's because I'm old. They're like these... Black and orange wrappings. They're in black wrappings or orange wrappings. There's these little... There's these little... They're almost like toffee, or not toffee, taffy, but they're supposed to be peanut butter flavored, and they're they're not good. But we used to get them all the time. Oh, I... Because they're so cheap, so people would buy them, and I haven't seen them in years, so maybe they don't make them anymore. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about, actually. Yeah, those were not good. (laughs) They were the worst. I hate lollipops. Yeah. (laughs) I hate lollipops. Lollipops, I always hated getting lollipops when I was a kid. Um, You know, and and again, it's the the kind of thing that people buy them because they're cheap, and you can get a lot of them. Um, But they're just not, they don't work for Halloween candy, because you have to spend time. You want... The point of Halloween candy is you want to eat as much of it as possible and make yourself sick. Instant and with a lollipop, you have exactly with a lollipop, you have to sit there and suck on it, and it takes a while. And so they were always the last thing that I ate because because uh, they also keep forever. But um, yeah, I also hate slash love candy corn. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever eaten candy corn with peanuts? Ew, no. Why would I do that? No. It sounds so gross, but they're actually really good. It basically tastes like, um, uh, it's a candy bar. I can't remember which one. But yeah, you can combine candy corns with peanuts. And I'm telling you, I would have thought it was the worst thing ever until I tried it. That's, I'm sorry, that sounds... Just give it a try. Absolutely disgusting. Oh my god. No, I, <laughs> I love candy corn. I bought a bag of candy corn like two days ago, and my roommate and I finished it off within like a day and a half. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> And I was just like, I'm not buying more. <laughs> he said, no, I don't think that you should. Cause... <laughs> yeah, I hate it slash love it. It's um, so addictive. Yeah. Back to your lollipops point, I'm just going to say dum-dums are a tease. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? That's just dum-dums yep. are a tease. <laughs> okay. That's it. Yep. That's that's the tweet. <laughs> They're just these tiny little balls of lollipop that are like, this is dumb. Like, come on. That's why they're called dum-dums, because they're dumb candy. <laughs> but I, I always liked I always liked the root beer ones, because they taste like root beer barrels. They do. They do. That's true. And I always liked the cream soda ones, too. I like cream yeah. soda, so. But still. It's, it's more about the idea of the candy than the taste, because they taste fine. They taste yummy, but... I just want, if I'm going to have a dum-dum or a sucker or whatever, I want it to be something worth worth my time. <laughs> <laughs> so the other half of James's question is, also, what are some classic movies you would consider good for spooky season? Okay. <laughs> Lauren has a very long list. <laughs> I'm not going to give a, an incredibly long list, but I 
did want to throw out a, a couple that I think are underseen um, or are under discussed. And one of them is uh, a film called Night of the Demon. It's also known as Curse of the Demon from 1952. And it stars, it's directed by Jacques Turner, who's uh, most famous for, he directed the original Cat People. Uh, and it's an adaptation, it's with Dana Andrews and Peggy Cummings, it's an adaptation of the short story Casting the Runes by M.R. James. And if any, by the way, if anyone is, has not read M.R. James, he is perfect for, uh, for Halloween. Very, fairly short, very creepy ghost stories. Um, he wrote primarily short stories. I don't think he ever wrote a novel or anything like that. But, uh, and Casting the Runes is, is a, an excellent short story, but it's, so Curse of the Demon is basically about uh, a, um, a, a, a professor of alchemy, a sort of magician, who begins cursing, casting curses on uh, people that wrong him. And by wrong him, I mean, like, you know, they reject his, his uh, papers for publication and stuff like that. But it's very creepy and well-constructed. And Dana Andrews plays this character who um, studies the supernatural, but really does not believe in it at all. And is in fact aggressively anti-supernatural. Um, and then he begins to get involved in all of this and, uh, and has to deal with the fact that he's been cursed and that a demon creature is following him around. It's really well done, and I, I, I don't think that a lot of people have seen it. I didn't get to see it until last year. Uh, it is available for rent, I believe. It's on like YouTube, Vudu, Amazon, things like that. Uh, the other one that I wanted to shout out is Mad Love, which is directed by Carl Frund from 1935. It's Peter Lorre. Uh, this is a actually a remake of a silent film called The Hands of Orlock, but it's about a, um, a concert pianist played by Colin Clive who gets injured in an accident and he, uh, his, his hands are so badly damaged that he, they basically have to be amputated. Meanwhile, this crazed doctor, played by Peter Lorre, like, has perfected grafting limbs onto people. So he grafts new hands onto this man, but what he doesn't tell him and what begins to transpire is that they are the hands of a murderer. <laughs> uh, and, and meanwhile, Peter Lorre... I remember Lord, hearing about that, but I've never seen it. It's, it's a really good film. Again, it's available to rent, and I think that it might also be streaming. It's one of those streaming for free with ads. Um, but it's, it's very weird. It's very creepy. It's one of those films that is just post-code, so it actually still has a lot of um, of kind of very dark and disturbing elements to it that you you wouldn't get in slightly later films of the same period. Uh, Peter Lorre is absolutely terrifying. He's he's great. Like he's he's wonderful. It's a very very creepy film. So those were two that I wanted to just give a shout out to. Uh, uh, I would say one that I would one that I would mention you. You just mentioned it, but you didn't get into it, and that is Cat People from 1942. Yeah. Um, which I think if people, I feel like that's one of those horror films that either people have seen it and loved it, or they have not seen it, or they have not seen it and pretend that they've seen it and loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that this is one of those quintessential 
you know, 40s horror films that, that people should see. It's, mm-hmm. it's this woman who, um, she, she's Eastern European, right? Yeah, it's very vague. It's very vague where she comes from. But yes, yeah, she's supposed to be Eastern European. Right. But yeah, and, and so then there's this whole, she starts to believe that she is descended from people who shapeshift and turn into panthers when they're sexually aroused. Oh, you can't have that in the 40s. What? <laughs> I love when people think that movies from the 40s are super chaste. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and so she starts transforming. And I I think one of the things that intrigued me about this one, I need to watch it again. It's been a while. But I think one of the things that I love about it is how um uh, you know it really does tap into some of those things that you think old movies don't do yeah. you know like sexuality and um and some of the uh oh my gosh my brain is not working it stopped all of a sudden but um it gets into this whole thing with with the history of these people and the way that they were um they're treated as witches. Right. Yeah, they were... Um, there's a word I'm looking for. Uh, it's not traumatized. It's persecuted? Persecuted. Thank you. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm really having problems. <laughs> but, yeah, it gets into the history of these people and the way that they were persecuted. And, and yeah, exactly. They were treated like witches. And um, so this is an old legend, but it turns out maybe it wasn't just a legend. Most legends are steeped in some element of truth. And so... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just, I really yeah. like it. Yeah, it's, it's got that nice duality of, is this all in her head? Mm-hmm. Or is, you know, this something that she's coming to believe because of where she comes from and because of these superstitions and because of her feelings? Because part of it is, is an issue of jealousy. Right. Um, when she gets jealous or angry, she's afraid that she's going to hurt someone. Uh, and... And it's a question of like, you know, is this something she can control? Is is she actually turning into a cat? Right. You know, into this big leopard. And that's one of the things I love. Um, have you seen? Sorry. No, go on. Well, I was gonna say that's one of the things I love when it comes to horror. I've talked about this the last couple of episodes too, where when there are those questions of is this really happening? Is this all in the person's head? You know, but as you're going along with this, it's, there's some pretty compelling evidence that it's not just in her head, but there's still, well, maybe she's crazy, you know, and, and, or just seeing Mm -hmm. things or, you know, having imagination, you know, imaginings and stuff. So yeah, I, I, I love that aspect of when things aren't always as clear. No, I absolutely agree. I was just going to ask, have you seen Curse of the Cat People, the sequel? I did, but I don't really remember it at all. It's I I would just recommend it to um to anyone that see Cat People first because it actually does inform on on the sequel. Um but I I love Curse of the Cat People and in some ways I like it better than the original film because of what it does particularly with the female characters and the treatment of um you know, so so many of these films are about women and their connection to the supernatural and this whole like this whole idea that a woman who could who could get sexually aroused or angry or jealous would actually transform into an animal. And 
that concept is then kind of drawn out even further in terms of children um, and girls in Curse of the Cat People. And it's it's a really beautiful conclusion, I think, to, to the original film because this, the, the main character, this uh, Simone Simone, is very sympathetic. Like, she's not a bad person. Right, she's not a villain. Um, she's not a villain. Yeah, even though there's this thing that's inside of her that she feels is making is is making something wrong with her, that there's something seriously wrong with her, and I and Curse of the Cat People gives that some wonderful closure. I think. I need to watch both of them again. It's been a long time, but but yeah, I think that you know when we talk about old movies being repressed or women not having a lot of autonomy in them and things like that. I think what's great about cat people is that it, it proves that that wasn't the case with, you know, a lot of movies. So, um, yeah. And let's see, what's another one? I'm trying to think like classics that people don't talk about a lot. You know, I think another one that I really love, everyone talks about The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982 or whatever, but I love The Thing from mm-hmm. Another World, which is from 1951. It's, um, it's, it's the same story. It's people that are at this, you know, this remote outpost in the Arctic and it's, it's exactly the same story, but, um, I don't know. There's just something to me that's creepier about the original film, the 51 film, than mm-hmm. than what you get with, with the 82 version, which is also creepy. I'm not knocking that one. I enjoy that one, too. But I think that – I think when you're talking about movies from the 50s, especially something that it's like, well, is this – is you know, you've got this creature, maybe. You're not totally sure uh, what's going on, and it's – it's, um, you know, so you think, okay, so there's this alien, but it could look like anybody. You don't know. And it doesn't really show it. I think that's what gets me is that it doesn't really ever show you what it is that you're supposed to be afraid of. And so it could be anything that you imagine. And that can be scarier because what I imagine is going to be different than what Lauren imagines. And this is one of the things that a lot of horror mm-hmm. films do wrong is when they show you the monster. So often I'm like, that's it you know but if it's if i don't see it and i just have to picture it in my head then i'm going to come up with what actually terrifies me and i think that's what is so much mm-hmm. fun about the thing from another world yeah it's that it's that sort of the shadow around the corner and that's something the cat people does really well too yeah. but you don't you don't see the cat you see shadows you see you know you know, and it's it's that kind of like, is this real or is this something that I'm projecting? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's that's very scary. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's see. Um, and let's go with because there's there's always questions of what's the difference between a horror and a thriller. And at Film and Sports Twenty One asked, what are your favorite thrillers of all time? So first, let's talk about. Uh, just very briefly, let's talk about the difference between a horror film and a thriller. I bet you have a good definition or a good a good breakdown. <laughs> I don't. No? <laughs> I don't, actually. Well, because so many people argue about the difference between them, and I, it's almost like, what's that famous quote about pornography is that I know it when I see it? Mm-hmm. 
There's a definition and, that and, says, yeah. thrillers are meant to thrill while horrors are meant to horrify. Thank you. <laughs> That's helpful. There you go. There's there's the definition. I I mean, so I guess you could argue that, that horror film technically really should be, um, have some kind of supernatural component or the implication of a supernatural component. So... How, so Psycho is not is a thriller because it is not supernatural. Halloween is a horror film because there is an element of the supernatural to it. I don't know whether that completely works because then you would have to get rid of, of at least a couple of slasher films and things like that and say like these are not actually horror films and you know we would debate about that. So I don't actually have a good definition for that other than saying like. Well, there are some things that are thrillers and some things that are. For instance, Alfred Hitchcock did not make horror films. He made thrillers. Um, and I would make that argument for Psycho as well, which is one of my favorite thrillers. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, I. it's funny because, like you said, I mean, when I start to think, well, a horror film is, is more um, external... Like, I tend to think of it as things that are, they feel, even if they're not actually, they feel like external threats, and a thriller is more like it's in your mind. But then that doesn't really work either <laughs> all the time. There's a lot of films that cross the lines, because like like you said, in Psycho, uh, Marion Crane actually gets murdered, and that's pretty horrifying. But that's not a horror movie. I agree with you. So it's like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I have it backwards. Maybe I've got, maybe switch it. I don't know. Um, but like you said, you're exactly right. You know it when you see it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with that in mind, what are your favorite thrillers of all time? Uh, I'm just going to give a, a list. I refuse to, I refuse to be like, oh, these are my all time favorites because that changes constantly. Cause I keep on watching movies and <laughs> they, I reevaluate things, but I think that one of my favorites is always going to be Psycho. I love Psycho. I've talked about Psycho so many times. I will talk about Psycho more, I am certain. Um, yeah, I love it. I think it's a perfect film. Uh, one of the others that I want to put on there is another Hitchcock film, Shadow of a Doubt, which, again, there's that kind of question, is it a horror, is it a thriller? Because it's. I've actually read some very good analyses of it that, that talk about it as, as a Nosferatu movie. Uh, which is very interesting if you watch Shadow of a Doubt, but it's um, Joseph Cotton and uh, Teresa Wright, and it's basically about a um, beloved uncle who returns home to his family, and he may or may not be a serial killer. Uh, and it, it's just a, a very well-constructed film. I, I adore it, and it's very creepy and interesting. Um, another one that I really like is Peeping Tom by uh, Michael Powell, which was sort of compared... It was kind of compared to uh to psycho particularly when it came out and it has very a lot of similar elements to it but again it's it's a very different kind of psycho thriller and um it definitely deserves to be watched if you haven't seen peeping tom please go watch it it's a great it, it's a great serial killer movie uh memories of murder which we were discussing in re in reference to parasite the other day is one of the most absorbing murder mystery slash serial killer stories I have ever seen. Go go see it. It it's it really has to be seen to be believed. It's it's um 
it gets, you know, we're talking about films that get under your skin. It gets under your skin. It is a very, very creepy movie. Uh, and my final one that you have mentioned numerous times, and I want to mention it now, is Diabolique. Yay! I love Diabolique. <laughs> so good. So much fun. Um, it's funny, I just pulled up my letterbox account, and I looked, you know, I sorted by thrillers, and, <laughs> and then I then I sorted it by, like, which movies I've seen. And um, some of these that come up under Thriller are interesting. Like, um, Titanic. <laughs> Spotlight. What? I know. <laughs> like, who made this? Um, uh, let's see. What are some other ones? Zero Dark Thirty is under here as a thriller. Uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. <laughs> like, what the hell? This is not accurate. Yeah, thriller is a very nebulous distinction. Clearly. <laughs> yep. Yep. So that's funny. But I will definitely echo what you said about Psycho. I love that movie. It's fantastic. Um, it's, it's just one of those that, I mean, it's, it's quintessential Hitchcock. And yes, he did other movies that are mm-hmm. better, but I don't think anything is no. as... What? No, he didn't do movies that are better. <laughs> you have said that. No, he did. I, I actually <laughs> that he did better movies than Psycho. Hitchcock, yeah, you said that that's he not did, even his best one. He did. No, no, I think that that is his best film. Oh, okay. I think that that is. It's not. It's not necessarily one of my. It's not necessarily my absolute favorite. Oh, okay, and yes, but favorite I, and I best do, are different. I. Yes, and, and but I do think that it is his masterpiece. That if you like, if there's only if if you eliminate his entire oeuvre and just keep Psycho, that that is an oeuvre in itself. Yeah, I would agree with that. Although, uh-huh. uh, maybe you know what? Maybe that's my thing too. Maybe there are. Maybe I'm I'm with you where it's like there are other ones that I like better, but psych. Yeah, you yeah. Ca- you cannot get rid of Psycho. You just can't. And if there's still people that have not seen Psycho, like, what are you doing? Go watch it. Just stop listening to this. Go watch Psycho and then come back. Um, my dad has never watched Psycho. <laughs> the music freaks him out. God. <laughs> it's freaky music. <laughs> it is freaky music. Um, but let me think. Some of my other favorite thrillers. Gosh. Um... It gets it does get into this whole thing of like is that a thriller or is that a horror movie? I'm not sure. But uh I will say um you mentioned this one earlier, but I will say Hard Candy is one that I think is really interesting. It's definitely got some problems and and the production of it is a little bit odd. But um I really like what it's doing. And I think that this actually has has a lot in common with Big Bed Wolves because you've got this girl mm-hmm. who has she meets up with this guy at a coffee shop, gets him to well, she pretends that she's not trying to get him to, but gets him to take him back to take her back to his place and ends up tying him up and accusing him of being a pedophile and raping and murdering girls and much like with Big Bad Wolves, there's no there's no explanation of how she came to the conclusion that it was this guy. And she does really terrible things to him, tortures the crap out of him. But I, I think that whole journey where he, 
I mean, it's Patrick Wilson. He's a good guy. He wouldn't ever <laughs> kill people. And so there's this quite like, be, for at least for me, when I watched it the first time, I was like, no, he's got to be totally innocent. And and but but then she starts showing him evidence, and then he starts confessing to certain things, but not other things. And it it does it also keeps you guessing. And then it never really fully answers some of the questions in the end, too. And I, I, I enjoy that. And then also, if you have been listening to our podcast and still have not watched um, uh, A Simple Favor, like, what are you doing? Go watch <laughs> that, too. Um, especially, I, I love how much it ties in Diabolique, which is one of my all-time favorite mm-hmm. films. So... Uh, yeah, go watch A Simple Favor. I think it's still on uh, Hulu. I think it's on Hulu. So Yeah, yeah, it was on Hulu. Yep. Alright, let's see. Okay, so from At Paws It's Paw, what is your favorite final girl in a movie, since that trope is very common? We have many final girls. My favorite... There are many final girls. Yeah, I mean, my favorite was Lori Strode. From Halloween until mm-hmm. until last year's Halloween, <laughs> and I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> they basically ruined her, and so that was when my favorite final girl became Sydney Prescott from Scream. Because unlike Laurie Strode, Sydney still went out and lived her damn life, and she didn't <laughs> let the events of her traumatic past get her down she wrote a book and she goes out into the world she doesn't she's not a doomsday prepper so that's mine who's yours <laughs> I, I i was actually i was gonna say both of those um uh both i i and i just just taking just taking laurie strode uh, from the original film yeah let's yeah. say that um i i think that you know she she's very good and she's very effective and like i actually the in the original her reactions are very natural. Uh-huh. Like, it's one of the few slasher films where you're just like, yes, that is exactly how I would react in this situation. You know, you run, you try to hide, you try to fight back, you know, they're, all of those things that you that normal people would do in being pursued by a possibly supernatural killer with a knife. Um, you know, she does. So I, I really like that about her. I also and like she's... Sydney Prescott. And yeah. Well, and Laurie is so good at looking so terrified. Like that credit yeah. to Jamie Lee Curtis. She it's really believable watching her in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also really like. I guess that she's a final girl. She's arguably one of the first final girls. Um, is uh, Vera Miles in Psycho, who yeah. actually does survive, is Marion Crane's sister, and takes it upon herself to go investigate her her sister's disappearance and what happened to her and where she went and and all of that and like she is actually she's kind of the unsung hero of that movie uh that she really does pursue kind of right to the very end what happened and um and she's she's very good at that so i i would add her there too i'm not i admit i'm not a big fan of the final girl trope and you know we've I think we've talked before about why it's in, in a problematic trope in places. Um, but I do like the ones that actually, you know, kind of take it upon themselves. They're sort of like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm going to fight back. I'm, I'm not going to just, you know, lay down and let this happen to me. I'm going to be like, I am going to murder everyone in my path. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love that commercial it came out a couple years ago, but they 
bring it out every Halloween now. Um, where it's the kids and they're like at this spooky old house in the middle of nowhere and like the one dumb blonde girl is the only one who has any good ideas. <laughs> Everyone's like, let's hide behind those chainsaws. <laughs> She's like, let's get into the running car and drive away. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's the other thing. I like it when horror movies actually do that where the people react. You're just like, okay. You know, arm yourself. Do, you know, what can you do to protect yourself in this situation? And I like it when they actually do that. I recently watched Hush. Yes. Um, the, my, the, uh, oh, it's Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is on, which is on Netflix. But that's a similar thing where the, the woman in that reacts naturally. Like, and she, she can't hear, so she has certain reactions to that as well. But when she finds out what is happening to her, she fig- she tries to figure out, okay, what are my options? What can I do to protect myself and to get out of here alive and to, to beat this guy? And I really liked that, that, that normal, natural, like, what, what do I have? What resources do I have? And what are the steps that I can take to try to survive this? Yeah. So yeah, get into the running car. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Get into the running car, drive away, go save yourself, don't be an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so, uh, yeah. Get into the running car if there's a killer chasing you. Just don't be stupid. (laughs) Um, Yeah, alright, so, let's see. Just making sure we've gotten all of these. Okay, so then we have four questions from at BLC Agnew. The first one is underrated horror composers. Hmm. I'm sorry, I have no idea. Yeah, I know because I have zero only... idea. Yeah. Um I mean, I think that the only the only ones I can really think of are not underrated at all. Like, John Carpenter mm-hmm. wrote the Halloween score, which is, I would say, one of the greatest scores of all time. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. The band Goblin from <laughs> Suspiria. <laughs> Dario Argento's band. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so, sorry, Brandon. We just don't. We just don't have enough uh, knowledge ourselves to give a good answer to that. But, let's see. Director who hasn't tackled the genre, but you think would kill it. I love the choice of words there. Very funny. Kill the horror movie. (laughs) Um, Who would do a great horror film? I was I was trying to think about this. I was actually trying to think about female directors yeah, that same. have not done horror yet, and I, and actually, and she's done. I I mean, you know, depends upon how you look at it. Uh, monster could possibly be horror, but Patty Jenkins has not really done a, a straightforward horror film. Yeah, and I think with her visual style and so she's she did monster and i believe she directed at least the first episode of i am the night mm-hmm. um but both of which have horror kind of horror-ish elements i guess they would probably be more classified as thrillers um but she has a great visual style and i think it would be really i i, I think she'd be very good at, a, at more of a straightforward like slasher film or um 
haunted house story or something like that. I would really like to see her give that a shot just to, and, and I think she could pull it off really well. Yeah. I, I think that would be awesome. Um, she would be great. One of the ones that popped into my head, just thinking about more of the creepy, uh, like definitely not a slasher movie, but I was thinking D Reese. I think that what she yeah. does is so, so introspective. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it'd be really interesting to see what she could do with a good horror movie, especially one that's quiet, that um, is more just about, like, that doesn't necessarily have a lot of dialogue to it, and just some really interesting characters that, some that you really want to care about. Yeah, I think she'd do awesome. Um, who else? There's some it's like, oh, I could toss out just a bunch of names just at random, but... Uh... Yeah, I was trying to think of people that have um, that have a really interesting visual style or have made films that are close to horror but haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, I just, like, any, any director with a really strong visual style, I would like to see do horror. Because... Horror, visual horror is so good and if you know how to create tension and um, and and kind of you know ratchet things up a little bit it can be so effective but uh, right now I'm blanking on any other names I know sorry we did not prep enough ahead of time for this for any of these questions which sucks um... I, I know nothing about horror composers, so there is no way in hell that I would have been able to answer that question. <laughs> Just like, who is that person? Yeah, I mean, I could throw out <laughs> some and be like, well, I've never heard of this person, so clearly they did a good, or they're one of them, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I haven't heard of most of them, I hate to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, most of the composers I know have not done horror films, at least not that I know of. So, I don't know. Um, but yeah, some female directors that I think could be really, well, I mean, the question wasn't just about female directors, but that's what I was trying to think of. Um, any others? Nope, I don't have any others. Everyone else either has done a horror movie or would suck at it. That's what we're saying, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, obviously. All right. Um, let's see. So, favorite horror movie, snacks and drinks. I mean, I'm Brendan. traditional. <laughs> I love popcorn. That's <laughs> popcorn. Pu pumpkin ale. <laughs> oh. yeah. I love pumpkin beers. I do. I'm one of I'm one of those bitches. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're so basic. The best <laughs> the best one is Southern Tier Imperial Pumpkin Ale, I think it's called. Ooh. It is so good. Oh, my God. It tastes so good. It's really expensive, so I only, like, get, like, one bottle per year, but it is really excellent. Nice. That sounds awesome. Um, I probably would love it if I drank beer, but I don't. Um, let's see. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say that after Scream came out and that opening scene with Drew Barrymore, now I occasionally love to get me some Jiffy Pop. 
because when I'm watching a horror mm-hmm. movie, because it just adds a little to it, you know? It's just fun. So, uh, okay, what do you prefer? Classic red paint movie blood or modern fake blood? Uh, red paint. Absolutely. But I, I prefer it because it re- it reminds me a little bit that this isn't real. And I'm not one of those people who loves... I don't like splatter films. I'm not a big fan of, like, lots of body horror, lots of violence. Uh, I prefer creepy, and I prefer, like, tension building. But with the red paint, it kind of reminds me that, like, this is, you know, this is a game. This is fun. This isn't real people dying. This isn't, like, we're not trying to, you know, who can gross you out the most. It's more of, like, this is... You know, this is a haunted house ride kind of thing. And I like that about about the red paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Same. <laughs> so, good. All right. Well, that does it for all of the questions that we got this week, unless we got any more this morning that I didn't see. I'm just going to take a gander no. really quick. No? Okay. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody. I don't think so. For contributing. Oh, I will say, because you will go in, since we're on the subject of Twitter, uh, you threw out on our Twitter account in honor of a tweet that just reminded me of this. What's a horror film you think has been unfairly maligned? For instance, I think The Wolfman <laughs> from 2010 is a quality piece of horror fun. So I just wanted to say some of the ones that people included. Uh, Brendan Agnew said Fright Night 2011. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Yep. As Above, So Below and Pandorum. And I haven't seen either one of those. I don't think I have either. Uh, and you also mentioned Van Helsing, and uh, yeah, that movie is just terrible. It's James Bond, but with universal monsters. Like, what is there not to love? Oh my gosh, it's the effects so are good. so bad. It's so terrible. I I do I mean I know it's unfairly maligned but I actually I really really like it I really like Van Helsing a lot um and yeah it's campy and ridiculous and it's terrible in a lot of ways but I I just I it I put it on and I'm just like this is fun like this is like you know this is exactly what what horror I like that kind of horror I like that sort of this is really stupid but very entertaining <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it's funny because from that question, I was like looking through my list. I'm like, what movies do I love that people hate and they shouldn't? And no, most of the movies that I love that people hate, uh, I understand why people hate them. (laughs) (laughs) I just sometimes like bad movies. Okay, fine. Sue me. (laughs) Um, Actually, don't because I don't have any money. But anyway, um, yeah. So I mean, that's part of the fun of horror, though, is that you can have these bad movies, these movies that you're just like, yeah, this is stupid, but still enjoy them. And I I, I like that about a lot of horror films. It's so true. There's a lot of stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And Deathbed, the bed that eats. (laughs) I still need to watch that. I haven't seen it. It is. It is. It is a classic. It is a classic of horror cinema. It sounds delightfully terrible. So it is. Um. (laughs) All right, so we'll, we'll do the recommendations at the end. Um, actually, no, let's do it now. So, all right, we've talked about a lot of 
horror and thriller films in this episode so far, but uh, do you have any last-minute recommendations for Halloween that you think people should seek out that we maybe haven't mentioned yet? Uh, I mean, I always have. I always do. Uh, you have great recommendations. Yes. Yes, that, because there's so... The, I, again, you know, one of the things I love about horror is that there is, and you mentioned this earlier, there's so much, and there's so many different genres, like subgenres to play with and play in and, and experience, you know. Candyman, the original Candyman, Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix. It oh, is, is a it? movie. <laughs> it is a movie. Yeah. That is true. Oh, cool. I didn't realize <laughs> it was on Netflix. I'm gonna watch it. Again. Yeah, it's on it's on Netflix now. They've they put a couple of, of very interesting horror films on Netflix recently. Um one of my favorite uh Dario Argento films is The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Uh and which is totally worth it just for the opening murder sequence. Nice. Um it's it's done through like it's one of these um you know glass buildings basically but the man who's witnessing the murder can see what's happening but can't hear anything so it's entirely silent uh and and he can't get into the building to stop it and it's it's uh, it's brilliant it's a brilliant murder sequence so it's worth it just for that but the entire film is a lot of fun i think um Mario Bava, Mario Bava, Mario Bava's Black Sabbath is one of the best horror anthology films. Um, what else? Brides of Dracula, which I don't know where you where you can stream that, but you could probably get it on YouTube right now. So like, go watch that. That's that is the movie where where Van Helsing could totally get it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I love Brides of Dracula. So those are a few. Deep Red, The Love Witch. Hush, Bay of Blood, if you just want to see people dying for an hour and a half. It's fantastic. <laughs> nice. Um, let me think. I, I, You know, I'm thinking of some more, like, horror comedy movies, like Little Monsters is on Hulu. If you haven't watched that yet, yeah. you should check that out. Um, I mean, one of my very, very favorites is The Burbs. Um, you recommended Grabbers for me a few weeks ago when I watched that and loved it. That was a lot of fun. Um. Yeah, and honestly, seriously, sign up for the trial of Shutter if you don't already have subscription. It's like a, you know, you get. I think their trial is a pretty good one. It's like two weeks or a month or something, and just just scroll through and see what they have to offer, and just start watching some stuff because you'll find some some great gems in there. Yeah, and um. Criterion has a bunch of Val Luton films right now. So we were talking about Cat People, Curse of the Cat People, Isle of the Dead, I Walked with a Zombie. They're all really good films. And very short, too. Most of them are about an hour and ten minutes. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate when a horror film isn't two and a half hours long, Ari Aster. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, so speaking of horror films, we got a trailer this came out actually last week but we decided to talk about it this week um so really quickly we'll just talk about the trailer for the turning which is um is it a remake or is it a retelling of the turning of the screw uh it i I, several people have referred to it as a remake of the innocence of course the innocence is an adaptation of the turn of the screw right uh so yeah it looks like it's it's a very 
I found the trailer very odd because I was sitting there going like, wait a minute, I recognize this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is Turn of the Screw, but yeah. not. <laughs> I know, it was very uh, so. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I love Turn of the Screw and I love The Innocence, so I'm kind of like, okay, I'll give it a shot. But I, I, I honestly, I put this on in our agenda because I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Someone tell me what to do with this. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's a horror movie. It's coming out in January, which is usually not a good sign. But it has Mackenzie Davis yeah. as this this governess um, who's taking care of kids, played by Finn Wolfhard and Brooklyn Prince, who is just a delight. I love that girl. Um, and, yeah, the trailer, it doesn't look like this movie could possibly be good but then it's like ooh female director Floria Sigismondi um I'm definitely gonna give it a try I'm intrigued enough to watch it yeah same I like I I mean I I think one of the things that's really good about The Innocence is that it is turn of the screw but it also isn't like it it, ha- it does other things than what the story does than what the original book does and if this does something similar in that it takes that narrative and, and does something different with it, I think it could be a lot of fun. You know, I just like watched it. I was like, this is, this is like the 1999, the haunting, mm-hmm. but with the innocence instead, which is exactly what I think we're in for. <laughs> I don't think that yeah. this movie is going to be good, but horror, as we've talked about, horror movies don't have to be good to be fun and enjoyable. So sure. That's what I'm hoping for. So yeah. Uh, okay. And then we're just going to talk lastly about the new season of Castle Rock started. And I personally am so happy. I think you are too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this new season, you, <laughs> what I, what I'm glad about is this really is an anthology. I think that season one ended where it felt like it could have gone into another season about the same characters, but it would have very quickly worn out its welcome as much as I love watching Bill Skarsgård be creepy. Um, <laughs> I think that <laughs> it, <laughs> it could have definitely have, have turned it, it could have become kind of a parody of itself if they had kept going with that storyline so this is a completely at least it seems like it's going to be a completely new storyline that doesn't really tie into the first season at all i'm guessing we'll see some characters that cross over but uh this one follows annie wilkes which is played by lizzie kaplan and in this annie is uh, she's on the run from something and she has a daughter with her who's played by Elsie Fisher and um, I don't know how much to say they dropped the first three episodes and then this is what they did last season too they they released the first three on the first day and then they'll do it weekly after that and it's ten episodes all together mm-hmm. so I've watched the first three have you I've seen the first two. Okay. Uh, I watched the second one last night. I have not had a chance to watch the third yet. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because it gets into, uh, I think, even more than the first season. Or maybe it's just, maybe it's not more than the first season. It's just that the Easter eggs are more obvious to me. But, um, like, so this does take place in Castle Rock again, of course. But it also takes place in Salem's Lot. And... (laughs) Uh, when 
something happens and a character walks outside and is standing in front of the Marston house, I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I know where this is going. This is awesome. So those, I think that the <laughs> more, the more blatant Easter eggs in this one so far have me excited because it's like pulling out some of the stuff that I really love um, from some of Stephen King's. Uh, Stephen King's novels, but I know that you expressed a concern that I also share. What was that? Yeah, um, and this this is you know part of this is just my problem with Stephen King's work. It, I like Stephen King's ideas, and I usually like the first two thirds of every book he's written, and then he fucks the ending. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and what worries me about this one, and honestly, I felt that the last season of Castle Rock did the same thing. It, I, I just went, oh, okay, all right, um, great. Yeah, season, season uh, one, I was on board for, like, the first nine episodes, and then episode ten, I was like, what? <laughs> Why'd you ruin this? Yeah, it, no, it was like... It, it was just like last last two episodes. I, I was just like, oh, crap. You know, and, and the, the thing is, I think that it's entertaining enough and it's well acted enough that I was willing to go along with it, even though I slightly suspected. I was like, this is going to fuck the ending, isn't it? It's like, oh, it did. It did. It's like watching Ryan Murphy's show. Exactly. It's just like, oh, this is great. Oh, fuck the ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I, I am enjoying it. It's great actors. Um, I think it's going in an interesting way. One of the things I liked about Castle, I've liked about Castle Rock, is that even though you've got all these Easter eggs and all these riffs on characters, you don't have to be immersed in knowledge of Stephen King in order to enjoy it. Right. Uh, and I dig that. I, I like those elements. So yeah, you get things like the Marston House and Annie Wilkes and all that. But even if I didn't know who, what those meant or who these people were, I would still be entertained and i would still be enjoying myself ace merrill from the body um which is mm-hmm. the character that Kiefer sutherland played in the in stand by me i think it was Kiefer sutherland's character uh yeah so you have all these fun but like you say yeah you those are those are just the fun like little candies that you find you don't they don't necessarily influence the story at all and not knowing who all these people are doesn't change the way that you can enjoy it in fact, I think in some ways, especially at least so far with Annie Wilkes, I think knowing so much about her from Misery is a little bit of like, well, I don't, you know, I, I so far I'm like, well, but is this the same character that we're, that we would see later or is she just different and we're only knowing her by her name and making assumptions about her? And I think it's interesting that, that they're doing it that way. So it's like in some ways knowing so much about some of these characters could actually be a detriment maybe because then you have expectations that then yeah. don't happen. Well, and I, I think that Annie Wilkes in particular is one of the more, she's kind of like Jack Torrance, one of the more recognizable names and figures. Yeah, for sure. Um, from pop from pop culture because you know we even if you haven't read the book or even if you haven't seen the film you probably know of her and you've seen images of Kathy Bates uh etc so you know there's there's an awareness of her more so than like until you just said oh Ace Merrill is the character played by Kiefer Sutherland in Stand By Me I was like oh okay that makes sense you know <laughs> yeah um but 
but again, like that's that's a more of an Easter egg than someone like Annie Wilkes, who is a fairly well known pop culture character, right? Uh, kind of like Pennywise. You know, if you if you introduce a character named Pennywise in this series, <laughs> you're automatically like, okay, I know who that person is. Same thing with someone like Carrie, or you know. So when you had Sissy Spacek and Bill Skarsgård, it's like, okay, I this is this is something that I know about because they're known for the characters that they played. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Anyway, well, I really like the first three episodes. I hope, hope, hope that they can keep it going. We'll see. I don't know. Yes, me too. So, all right. Well, that, I think, is going to close things out. Is there anything else you wanted to toss out there? Nope. Happy Halloween, everybody. Have a good time. Eat lots of candy. Watch lots of scary movies. There are so many scary movies to watch. <laughs> I know, and it's awesome because there are channels that are doing their 30 nights or 31 nights of Halloween, and um, I think there are three different marathons or four happening on Thursday, Um, plus every channel, every uh, streaming service has all kinds of horror films out there, so enjoy the crap out of it. It's fun time. Fun time. So thank you so much for, uh, for all your support. We always appreciate it. Of course, if you want to continue the conversation, if you want to send us other questions or or thoughts that you had while listening to the show, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at CitizenDamePod and Instagram, same handle, at CitizenDamePod. We try to keep it simple. Uh, we don't... I'm going to be honest, we don't really go on Facebook that much, but uh, I do still see the notifications. So if you want to reach out to us there, Facebook.com slash CitizenDame. <laughs> Uh, or you can email us, and that is citizendamepod at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our official website, citizendamepod.com. We do have some things coming. I promise my Jojo Rabbit review is coming this week. It will be there. Um, <laughs> Karen. I know. I'm probably I've been also waiting. Gonna, I know. I'm probably also going to write another, a couple of other reviews, too. Like, I have some thoughts on Marriage Story, for example, that do not flow with the mainstream so I'm gonna say some stuff about that so um but yeah go there Lauren does some really awesome stuff uh over there too what have you what have you written lately you just posted uh I I haven't written tons lately admittedly I do want to get a I'm gonna get a review of the lighthouse up because I saw that last week and I still don't know how to write about it (laughs) Um, I also have a review of the Ida Lupino box set, which I am very slowly, but, but quickly working my way, very slowly, but quickly working (laughs) my way through. Uh, anyways, um, yeah. And then also things like Dame Struck. And of course we've got, uh, Karen's review of Joker, which every once in a while still brings out the, uh, the trolls. So, you know, thanks for that guys. You keep on giving us hits. (laughs) Yep. It's fun. I love it. I was talking to someone the other day who had had a tweet that was quote tweeted and mocked a little bit and he was just like it's just it's really hard for me this really hurts because it was someone that I thought was a friend and I was just like you know what though you have to remember this says more about them than it does about you and that's how you have to approach Mm. it online like when people start trolling me I'm just like whatever you just make yourself look like an idiot so yeah (laughs) <laughs> I love the negative comments. They feed me. <clears throat> but anyway. Um, Citizen Dame, we live on Shadenfreude. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, all right. So, but also, 
we want to just say really quickly how much we love our patrons. We thank you so much for your support. And if you would like to also join in the fun and support our show, we have patreon.com slash citizen dame. And we are going to be doing some more bonus content soon. We just have, it's a word season and it's eating me alive. And, um, but we also have <laughs> some fun merch at our Zazzle store, which is zazzle.com slash citizen dame. And if you just want to kick in a couple of dollars, you don't want a commitment to it, but you want to just help us out. Because all of this stuff that we're not making money off of this podcast, this is all just about keeping things running. And as, as a lot of you know, it's expensive to uh, pay for hosting and all that stuff. So we appreciate your support. And um, we also do have the Ko-Fi account, ko-ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. And Lauren... Where can people find you on the interwebs? I am on Twitter at LHBusiness. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. So thank you so much for listening, and we hope to talk to you soon. Bye. What time tonight? I don't know yet. I have to get out of taking my little brother trick or treat. treats for Bob. Funny. See ya. Bye. Bye. Oh, look. Look where? Behind the bush. I don't see anything. Oh, God, you drove by so fast that when you yelled at. Subtle, isn't he? Hey, creep. Lori, dear. He wants to talk to you. He wants to take you out tonight. Right there. Oh, Laurie. Scared another one.